This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And welcome, everyone. This is the Mind Sculptors Podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and we do have a great show lined up for you today. It is our Innistrad Midnight Hunt uh, set review. Before we get into it today, I do just want to take a moment and thank all of you for joining us this week. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment down below. If you want access to our Discord server, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash mindsculptors where you can help support us there. Also, if you are interested in any of the cards that we are talking about today, head on over to our TCG player affiliate link, which will also be in the description as well. Joining me today, um, back on the channel, it's been a few weeks is uh my fellow ohioan mr cobblepot cobble how you doing today doing well good to see you yeah good to good to have you back um glad to be back in the saddle as it were um indeed <laughs> and also joining us is uh i'm gonna keep calling you this until the day i die the frenchman himself pongo pongo how are you doing today i'm doing well one of these days we'll have a french podcast no doubt uh, so it's interesting because uh, the other day you were talking to Sage and they are learning French and you were talking about uh, doing something with them in French. I think it was in the oh, Discord. Yeah, just uh, like a little a little voice chat date. Oh, some, yeah. Some magic. Just speaking French, basically. Gotcha. Well, you can see that stuff, by the way. Uh, if you are a patron of ours, so head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors. But anyway, we're here to review some Innistrad midnight hunt cards. And by the way, I just have to mention this is the set. Uh, what's it called? The like identifier, the letters for this is M I D not I M D, which feels really strange to me. <laughs> so it's midnight. Innistrad D, I, it's very strange. I guess it's standing for midnight. Um, but uh, taking a look at our first card, we're starting off with the white cards here, is Vanquish the Horde. It is an eight mana sorcery that costs six colorless and two white. Uh, and it says destroy all creatures. And this spell costs one less to cast for each creature on the battlefield. So Cobble. Um there's some pretty obvious comparisons we could make to some other cards that exist. And, um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on this? So this is a white blasphemous act, basically. Um, and generally I think you can probably expect this is going to be a two mana wrath in, in many cases. Is that good enough for this to see play? I'm I'm not sure. Uh, on the one hand, this is eight mana as far as the the mana value. So if you're running an Adnos strategy, this is a, a, a big hit if yeah. you if you pull that off the top. Um, it it also is destroying all creatures rather than putting minus X minus X the way mm -hmm. that uh, Toxic Deluge does. 
So in the situations where something has indestructible or whatever, this is uh, not going to get it done. I, I think the thing that really puts me off most about it is that this is, so it's going to universally destroy everything. Whereas toxic deluge, you can kind of be more surgical mm-hmm. about it to s- remove certain things and leave other things on the table where this is just kind of clearing everything. If you're in white, generally white's contribution is uh, hate bears or, you know, stacks pieces, things that are proactive permanents that you want to keep on the board and clearing everything off of the board is really not going to advance your, your game plan. It's going to be kind of in conflict with what you're trying to do in, in the white color identity. And I, for me, that's the the biggest thing that, that puts me off. Pongo, this is interesting. Do do the mono white decks that are really seeing play right now really play Wrath Effects? Uh, not a whole lot. And because like Cobble was saying, um, there's a serious tension there. Um, if you're playing to the board quite a bit, you know, you generally don't want to wipe the board. Right. <laughs> Usually you want to just keep adding to it, in fact. Um, so it's it's interesting because this is kind of, and I've chatted about this with Charles before. This is kind of like one of those weird, um, I, I would say, kind of contradictions in, in the mono white, like color pie and, and, and sort of in uh, card design for mono white, which is that, you know, obviously it's a very creature oriented color mm-hmm. um, and plays like lots of small creatures. But then, you know, there's like kind of this other side to the color, which is like wiping the board very right. frequently. Um, you know, I, I think that Wizards has taken some some serious heroic steps to kind of address that gap between the two sort of class of cards, which is to really lean in on like White's recursion uh, as a source of card advantage, such that like it can kind of make sense to be playing all these weenies and then wipe the board. And then, you know, you've set everybody back, but, you know, you're going to try to accrue value essentially by recurring the things that you put into the graveyard at that point. Right. Um, I don't know that we're quite at the point where those cards are numerous, um, nor are they like powerful enough or playable enough in CEDH such that like, you know, your average mono white deck is going to want to pursue that type of strategy. So this really feels like it's going to be more of like a high color type card you know, where you would conceivably play it in like a four color deck or, you know, like a three color deck. Um, and like, I would say that the logical places for that for it would be in like blue, black, white, um, or like blue, black, red, white, because obviously, you know, you don't have the additional tension of like wanting to play mana dorks and stuff like that. Um, the issue here though, is that I don't think that this card compares particularly well to a card we just got, which is damn. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like kind of to me the obvious comparison where like you have like like the modal ability to remove one thing if you're ahead on board. Um, and then for just a tiny bit more mana than this, um, you can use it as a board wipe if you need that utility. And in addition, it only hits you for two off of Adnos if that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I think more importantly, like you're not necessarily locked into that potential anti-synergy. So yeah, I just think while dam exists, like you're probably very unlikely to see this played. One of 
the one, all the negatives about this card. One thing that I think we cannot say is a negative is the artwork on this card is gorgeous. Um, on it, like if if we were reviewing the art from this set, this would be like one of my favorite arts from the entire set, honestly. Um, not to take us off the topic of CEDH, but like it it, <laughs> it looks like an old like gorgeous painting. And I just it I, I love this art. So perhaps I, for I that agree, reason Colin. only. <laughs> I, I agree. And it's you know, it's kind of strange for those words to come out of my mouth. um up next on our list is another white card is cathar commando it is a um two mana creature human soldier costs one color less than a white it's a three one with flash uh and it has an activated ability that costs one colorless you sacrifice it and destroy target artifact or enchantment so uh pongo uh i there, there's some similarities to some other cards. I believe uh, Caustic Caterpillar is one that comes to mind. Uh, how much does Flash add to that ability? I love this card. I'm about to gush about this, this okay. card and about the design of this card. Um, I think Flash adds so much to this card, actually. And I think like everyone I've spoken to who is like deeply invested in playing white um, and playing white as like a very central part of the strategy that they're pursuing is like super excited about this card. You know, this checks so many boxes for like what white card design needs to be. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it feels like this card was designed with a lot of intention behind it as a result, which like, you know, it just pleases me greatly. Um, so obviously this is a white weenie and that's cool. You know, um, the fact that it's a three one. Not irrelevant because that's an aggressive body, but importantly, also tutorable with um, Recruiter of the Guard, which is like super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, two drop, recruitable by like a lot of what White is doing, but also, you know, efficient enough that this is playable. This is like a, an efficient enough rate for CEDH. Um, it has Flash, which is super relevant in White because what does White like to do a lot? It likes to play Rule of Law. Rule of exactly, Cobble. <laughs> so this lets you break parity on your rule of law effects by essentially getting an extra spell that you can play. And not only that, you can play this proactively, which is another thing white really likes to do. You can also use it reactively by playing it and then paying one and, and having that kind of like instant speed interaction effect. Um, I love that. It's not white, white in the casting cost. Yeah. It's uh, one white. And then the activation cost is also colorless. Um, you know, there's just so many great things about this card you know and and like i was saying before it just fits so well into what i want to see out of white cards uh, and and where i want to see white um design pushing toward which is to say more flash mm-hmm. you know more cards with one toughness that are tutorable um or two toughness you know whatever um aggressive bodies because well you know this is also a card that needs to see play in other formats um and just useful utility. Mm-hmm. Cobble in the in the notes we were talking here, and it looks you you had made a comparison to Leon and Relic Order. Um, that was oh, actually excuse Phoenix. me, that was Phoenix. Sorry, Jeremy. Um, but when you look at this card, Cobble, in that comparison, how do you feel that comparison holds up, and where does it fit outside of just those mono white strategies? 
Um, it's I, to, to me the 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 comparison to caustic caterpillar is mm-hmm. is the one that is much much um, more on mm-hmm. point to me. Um, the I I I really echo all of the the points that Pongo made, um, particularly the 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 flash part. Um, this is a it's also a human, which is becoming more and more relevant with some of the recent printings. And um, the the thing that is strong about this type of design is that for situations where an opponent is trying to win with a critical enchantment or artifact like, you know, food chain or underworld breach, a lot of times they're going to prepare um for their 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 winning turn with with counter magic to be able to disrupt whatever it is that somebody's going to do to remove their 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 critical mm-hmm. piece, and um, having uh, one you know one of these as a uh, you know a rattlesnake that represents a way to remove it without actually casting any spells uh, adds an extra layer of um, efficacy to your ability to uh, keep people off of the the wins that they would otherwise uh, present so it um this rather than lean lean and relic order um what's the the green white Kasali pride mage uh cat okay yeah Kasali pride mage that that's that's the one that i think uh he, he might have had in mind i don't want to speak for for jeremy but um i think that this fits in a great number of yeah. decks, but it 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 shines the most in uh, in decks that are heavily invested mm-hmm. in white, just because it plays to the strengths of the game plan that white typically is wanting right. to do. I think Commando just ends like Kasali's whole career. Like honestly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just done. Uh, I think the comparison to Lean and Roll Quarter is probably worth mentioning, at least like giving some like surface discussion to, you know, this doesn't really compare to lean and relic order. And the reason why is that lean and relic order is a combo piece. It's a combo card. Right. It's not just right. a removal piece. And this is just a removal piece at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of decks that would have played lean and relic order fairly, especially like in mono white and low color decks. But then, you know, once you start adding black and red, um, you know, you're you're no longer using that card really. Just Who needs as a to do it piece. fairly when you can do <laughs> win with it? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're kind of just looking to loop that card. Um, so like, it's nice that it is removal, but that's not really why you're playing right. it in those decks. Uh, heading over into the blue side of the spectrum, we've got a card called Fading Hope. It is costs one blue. It's an instant. And it says return target creature to its owner's hand if its mana value is three or less, scry one. So, uh, excuse me, Cobblepot. Um, There's people have been starting to play these little bounce spells like this, uh, specifically around things like Dockside. Um, Is this something you see as being really good for that, that will get more play? What are you thinking? I think that in general, the the metagame could use more creature oriented removal 
Um, a lot of the interaction that a lot of people pack is stack-based interaction for opposing mm -hmm. spells. And um, a lot of times people find themselves in bad situations when somebody drops an opposition agent or, you know, a, another problematic permanent um, that is, you know, either going to like a hate bear that will disrupt their, their, their game plan or, um, you know, just a something that, you know, like a, having Timna on the board or something like that, that, you know, is an engine for their, for, for their, the core of what they're trying mm -hmm. to do. Um, this has a lot of flexibility because you're, we're, you know, we're seeing kind of more and more creatures that, you know, particularly that are under the, the threshold of 3CMC that are, you know, becoming more and more prevalent and, you know, particularly things like opposition agent, um, Esper Sentinel, uh, it, you know, and the like, and, um, being able to cheaply at one mana, remove those things and get a scry out mm -hmm. of it, um, along with having the benefit of being able to use it yourself to bounce dockside profitably and, you know, still get the scry and so on. Um, that's a lot of flexibility. And I, I think that it fits well into where the metagame should be mm -hmm. going just because I think that there is currently a deficit as far as creature removal is concerned. Yeah. We were definitely, but I believe we were kind of talking about that a little bit on Twitter earlier today. Is is those sorts of tempo sort of needs in the meta right now? Um, yeah, Congo. When when you look at this card, uh, you know, people. There's certainly the removal side of this. Are there going to be the Nas players who look at this and say, "Hey, this is a one mana card that returns it to my hand, remove, returns Dockside to my hand, and lets me scry." Yeah, so I don't think that this provides enough upside over Unsummon, um, such that I would be like excited to jam this specifically as like a dockside doubler. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, to Cobble's point, it, it is true that probably and and you know, it's it's kind of become a meme at this point where like we always say play more removal, and everyone says play more removal, and then no one ever does, and so we just keep saying it. Um, but like. A big part of that equation is not just playing more removal and like a lot of the discourse is not just about around playing more removal, but it's also around playing more hard removal um, because like Cobble mentioned, you know, like opposition agent, for example, is not, it's often not a great target to bounce just because of the flash. The fact that like, if you need to get rid of it, there's a lot of situations where it's quite awkward if your only removal is is a bounce spell because it can come right back down to to ruin your day right away. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we're necessarily in the market for more narrow removal that is um, bounce removal. Uh, again, Unsummon has kind of always existed and it's never really been good enough to see widespread play. You've occasionally seen it here and there, um, you know, generally alongside Dockside. And obviously you're going to play this over that. Um, but I just think that the needs of, you know, in particular, you know, like the Dockside oriented decks uh, are for a flexible removal. If they're going to be playing bounce removal, 
And so they would probably more often than not prefer to play two mana bounce spells that can hit anything. Um, if they are choosing to play, you know, removal that also doubles as a toxide doubler, which mm-hmm. is, I know it's kind of increasingly, it's increasingly something that people are moving away from. I, I, I have found, um, so, you know, one, one place I could conceivably see this would be in like Cody, for example, mm-hmm. um, because it's a one drop that gets rid of your Cody where the scry is like not all that necessary anyway. Um, but you know, if that deck wasn't playing unsummoned before, it's not going to play this. I don't think I don't, the, the scry mm-hmm. one is not relevant enough as an upside. So let me ask you this, uh, because especially along the lines of removal where, okay, so people aren't playing enough removal, like if we're making the decision on where a lot of cuts end up being really tight, right? Like in a lot of lists, um, you know, and you're coming down to your last couple of them and, you know, you've got fading hope and you have, uh, you know, suspend left in Mm -hmm. your, in your deck and you have to cut like one card like realistically suspend should probably be the card that you're on over this. If you're needing to play more removal, is that like unfair to say cobble? No, I, I agree okay. with that. Uh, just because, well, so if you're playing it as removal, then, you know, ev- everything that Pongo said holds as in, you know, if it's an op, you know, someone's got an op agent, you bounce it, they can just play it right, right away. Um, whereas the suspend is going to, keep it off of the table for for two turns um if you want to be using it as a dockside doubler or something similar then the fading hope is going to be the one that's going to be more useful in that capacity mm-hmm. um so th- there, there is a trade-off and i i would echo that going to the you know the two mana range to have a more universal targets um it is probably better mm-hmm. in general just because you 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 want your removal suite to be able to deal with whatever circumstances right. you're looking at so well that transitions nicely for us into our next card which is geist wave it is a colorless and a blue instant that says return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If you controlled that permanent, draw a card. So Pongo, this feels sort of like into the royal. What do what are, what are we thinking about this card? Yeah, this is like the into into the royal variant that like <laughs> might finally have a, a high enough that isn't upside. exactly just. Into where, the royal renamed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where like maybe we play it. Um yeah, this is a card I'm I'm fairly interested in. Uh again, it still has a lot of the same issues that we talked about, where like bounce removal is a little less good these days. Um and or or you know, meta dependent a little less good these days. Um, like a lot of people are kind of moving away from them. Just because, like, sometimes you find yourself in the position where you need to answer multiple stacks pieces, and like bouncing one only to have like another one kind of there, and then you don't have enough time to answer the other one before the first one comes back down, really sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is kind of a strike against you know bounce removal in the current metagame. Um, that being said, you know, if we're talking about like 
Kinnon, for example. Um, Blue-green, just blue-green in general. I suppose you could say low-color blue decks don't always have a ton of access to really clean permanent answers to like just about anything. You know, you don't get your abrupt decays, you don't get your assassins trophy type cards. Um, and in those contexts, I think like the two mana bounces are pretty reasonable. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty high on resculpt these days, however, you know, because it's kind of like harder removal. Um, but I am interested in playing Geistway for for instance in Kinnon. Um, I do think that the upside of being able to draw a card when you bounce one of your own permanents is can be relevant relatively often. Um, you know, especially in that deck, I think that's the type of deck where I'm inclined, for example, if somebody tries to like Gilded Drake my Kinnon to bounce my own Kinnon as protection. Mm-hmm. Um, if I look at Najila as a different example, that's like a situation I think where I'm probably more inclined to keep the Drake and bounce my Najila and not draw a card <laughs> just because of how valuable like that 3-3 flyer can be for a lot of Najila lines. But like that's very deck dependent in terms of play pattern. Um, you know, this card in decks that have like Dockside are often going to point it at their own card. Um, Kinnon, I think obviously there's that play that I talked about, but you know, one thing that you end up doing a lot in that deck is like post Basalt Monolith. So once you have infinite colorless mana, if you only have access to like one blue mana, uh, a lot of the time you'll use a bounce spell on your own rock so that you can replay it and net two colored mana, which can let you play like um, like a transmute artifact or something like that. So like the self bounce spells end up having a lot of flexibility and utility. Um, and this one kind of just has like a really nice edge case where I could conceivably, you know, I can imagine myself using it on my own cards like reasonably often and and getting a tiny little bit of value out of it. Um, and I think that, you know, in my experience, I haven't really used the kicker on like the Into the Royal Variants quite enough where, you know, I think that they're kind of more consistently value than this, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Cobble in storm decks, like say something like Mizzix or another card we're going to be talking about today that we'll talk about when we get there. Um, this would you say this is probably a worthwhile card as something that you know is going to draw you a card? It's sort of a cantrip that lets you replay, um, you know, a dockside in some instances or defend some things. What are what are your thoughts on Geist Wave? I mean. I think it's very similar to a a string of variants that we've had in the uh, two mana blue instant bounce a non creature non land permanent. Um, there's a whole bunch of options, and uh, a number of them see play. And this is, I think, probably on the same level as most of them as far as, uh, you know, efficacy. And I don't know if there's there's anything about this that, that really makes it critical that it's, you know, this, this is definitely better than Into the Royal or this is definitely better than any of the other options for the, the same effect at the same mm-hmm. cost. You know what I yeah. want? Oh, sorry, and go ahead. <laughs> I'm, the, the only other thing I was going to say is the... the the thing that bounce does have um, to to lend permanence is that 
uh, because you're in blue, you're going to have access to Time Twister right. and Wheel of Fortune or uh, Windfall and stuff like that. So, so there there are circumstances in which you can, you know, imbue some permanence uh, into the the removal there, but that is kind of edge case because that's not going to happen very mm-hmm. often. Right. Yeah. What what I was going to say is, and it's a little off topic, but you know, what I really, really want is give me one blue, an instant that's return target non-land permanent with CMC three or less to its owner's hand. Like right. just like the one mana mono blue abrupt decay. Like that would be cool. I'd be, I'd be in for that. Or just a chain of vapor without a drawback. Yeah, but that might be a little too good. <laughs> you know, like we, we have that card and it has to be a sorcery. Yeah. Well, looking at the next card on our list, um, this is a card that I've seen a lot of people talking about are pretty excited uh, about is, I think I say a Lear, um, Disciple of the Drowned, which is a legendary human wizard uh, that costs three colorless and two blue. And uh, the ability on it says spells can't be countered and each instant sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback Uh, and the flashback cost is equal to that cards uh, mana cost. So Cobble, when we're looking at this uh, immediately, we're going to be talking about high tide shells, right? Like this, that's what we're immediately thinking of for for cases where you're using this card as the commander, then yes, that's I th- what most people have been talking about. And um, in that capacity, I, th- I think that it has potential. Um, I mean, you know, JVP has had success in that realm as well, but uh, this doesn't have any innate way to, uh, you know, fill, you know, uh, mill things into the graveyard. Uh, but, it's it 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 has this really interesting tension um because the i think a lot of people the first thing that they see about this card is that spells can't be countered and that's kind of where their focus mm-hmm. is um and i i i think that the 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 yogwill effect that it has is i think the 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 dominant more important uh component just because um it's the the you know that it's the the aspect that will allow you to really um, exploit uh, situations where you've got a, a well-stocked yard. Um, this has trade-offs, and you know there's risk that's involved in playing this because you know spells can't be countered. That means all spells can't be countered. So if someone tries to you know cast removal, you won't be able to. To interact with that, unless you, you're running, you know, misdirection effects or unsub effects and that kind of thing, which obviously you're going to do, um, but it's going to be difficult to protect this guy, um, just because if people do have removal, it's he himself is going to make it very difficult to prevent himself from getting mm-hmm. removed. Um, I, I actually am interested in trying this out in the 99 as opposed to being a commander in some sort of maybe a reanimator shell where we have some way of, you know, milling out the whole uh, 
yard and uh, getting him into play and then storming off with impunity. Um, haven't drawn up a list on that, but I, I think it's worthy of exploration. Pongo, when we're talking about this in the 99 and kind of using this as sort of a yog will, do we think this might be a relevant addition to something like JVP High Tide? Like played in the 99 of yeah. other mono blue decks? Yeah. Um. So that's an interesting question. I think, you know, that's that's not absurd, actually, as, as a proposal. Um, you know, JVP... Oftentimes when you're going off with JVP, the issue is not mana um, because you are kind of setting up to do the high tide thing and, you know, then you flash back high tide and then you're playing like a bunch of untappers. So like where you occasionally run into trouble with that deck is you kind of just like drawn to duds and you kind of just like you just whiff on on like spinning your wheels Um and, you know, what Lyre does and Lear, I don't know how to pronounce it necessarily, but. You know, why people are kind of excited about this card as the helm of that type of deck is that it provides a lot of gas. Like you play a card, you get to replay that card. Um, it's really hard to whiff with this card compared to JVP. Um, that being said, it's also a five drop that you can't really play in advance. Um, so you're kind of forced into this position where you have to play it out um, and I think in most instances you need to win on the same turn, uh, just because it is a symmetrical effect. You know, spells can't be countered is crazy text. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if somebody else tries to Oracle consult, there's nothing anyone's exactly. going to do about it. Sit there and go, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess we just lose. Um, so you know, I, I think that there is a pretty compelling case to be made that this would be stronger uh, in the 99 of a commander who is sort of contributing more uh, early on to that game plan and then can take advantage of both of these abilities when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another issue with this card that I have is that, and you know, this is kind of more of a pet peeve, I suppose, than anything, is, you know, a lot of people I have seen discussing brewing this card say like oh you don't have to run any counter magic in this deck because spells can't be countered so like who cares like i'm just going to be playing unsubstantiate type counter magic or whatever but like there's not enough of those and how are you getting to the point where you're casting your five drop commander without losing the game in mono blue um in a shell that does not want to play any stacks probably like whatsoever right um, you need to be playing that that whole package of counter magic still, I think. And, you know, that's just a pet peeve of mine right. uh, for, you know, like some of the discussion that I've seen around this deck. Um, I think that people who try to build this deck omitting counter magic, thinking that like, oh, I don't need it, are going to be in for an awakening. <laughs> in for a treat. Yeah, in for a treat when they bring <laughs> yeah. this to a table and find themselves, I mean, you know, short on answers for things. Lear himself is susceptible to counter yeah, magic. So right. if you want to resolve your commander, you're going to need to be right. able to protect it. Yeah. I mean, it is a creature, which helps, but, uh, you know, having him force of will kind of sucks, especially if the intention was like, oh, I'm going to high tide, play him, and then high tide again and, like, go off somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, if he gets countered in all that, you're like, you're, 
feeling pretty bad because now you have to get the seven mana. And your high tides in the yard. Well, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. He does give things flashback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next card on a list is a card that I'm pretty flipping excited for. Gotta say. Um, Best card in the set. It is Malevolent Hermit. It is a... It is a two-faced commander, so it's one of the flip or not commander, two-faced card. Um, it costs one and a blue. It's a human wizard, and it has the ability of it costs a blue. Sacrifice it to counter-target non-creature spell unless its controller pays three. I did a horrible job wording through that, um, and it also has an ability called Disturb, uh, which costs two colorless and a blue. That says, well, you may cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its disturbed cost. And it's transformed side. It's called Benevolent Geist. And it's a 2-2 with flying. And it says on it, non-creature spells you control can't be countered. If Benevolent Geist would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Um, So this is a really good card. Um on a, for a variety of axes, um, you know, Pongo, when we look at this card and there's a lot of different things that this can fit into, what is your immediate thoughts of this card? Yeah, there's a, like a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is a really interesting card. Um, but, you know, what immediately comes to mind is obviously, I think, Hermit Druid. And I think that is probably true for a lot of us looking at this card. Um, the idea being that now we can play kind of like a slower, safer druid style game plan um, where you don't have to yeet yourself into you the sun to try have and to win yeet yourself into the sun. Exactly. You can <laughs> wait until you have a little bit more mana, um, at which point you get to cast this from your graveyard after you mill your library with Hermit Druid um, or, you know, if you reanimate Hermit Druid after it gets removed the first time around or something like that. Um, and then you get protection kind of for free and not for free for three mana in your graveyard. But like, again, we're talking about a sort of more mid rangey plan. Um, and that's like very reasonable considering that Hermit Druid only costs one to activate. So, you know, if we're already there, what's three more mana. Um, the right. other thing too, is like, those are decks that in many cases, um, particularly like if we're looking at, um, the like Kenrith Hermit Druid decks are layering Underworld Breach. Yep. And so in that package, you're getting Lion's Eye Diamond. And this is really just quite nice to have alongside Lion's Eye Diamond <laughs> uh, because yeah. it, it makes that card a lot less dead in the sense that you can mill your library. Um, if you happen to just have the Lion's Eye Diamond around, that's your three mana to, you know, quote unquote, sort of flash this back, you know, to pay its disturbed cost. Um, and then you get to Dread Return and your Dread Return is not counterable. Um, which is quite sweet. <laughs> There's also um, the added part, though, of that if you have cards in hand, let's say you have LED, this, and like maybe a land in your hand. You've already hit your land drop. I mean, I feel pretty okay of playing my LED, cracking it, and then disturbing this, right? And, and just having this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, you know, I, I, that is probably more likely to happen in Kenrith than it would in like a Thrasios Timna build yeah, yeah. of that deck, right? Where like you kind of are more likely to gas out, I guess. Um, so, so I do think that this card is quite cool on that axis. 
I also think it's not unreasonable just played for like two mana and then you kind of get like that rattlesnake effect where it's it is a better miscast where you know it's a counter non-creature spell as opposed to just instant and sorcery for three mana kind of just being there um and being like harder to interact with than in many cases than like a spell pierce would or just like a miscast would um is pretty relevant my only concern for that is that because it's on the board it kind of has like that same effect that you know like oh um like they tutored for force of will has like where your like savvy opponents know to just kind of pass the buck of interaction to you on this for this card if you have it out um but like this is much better than like every variant of that type of card we've ever had you know if we're comparing it to like spike tail hatchling and like that class of cards um the curse Curse catcher cards exactly because like it's value once you've done that because you get to disturb it later so like you don't even necessarily feel terrible if that happens all right, hold on. I have to, I have to get this out of my system. Oh, All right, I feel better. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. My. I, as soon as I saw that ability, that was the first thing that came to mind. Do you want to say something about Lavinia while you're? Yeah, at we're it? gonna play it in Lavinia. All right, I did the brand okay. thing. I did the thing, guys. There you go. Dance monkey dance, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my I guess like final question about this card is like if we're not just like underestimating potentially how good it is. Where is it not good is my question. Well, I mean, like it doesn't compare incredibly well to, I think like Ranger Captain of Eos, for example, or like Grand Abolisher, if you're looking for that type of effect where it's like considerably more mana intensive to get that like whole plan going. Um, That being said, having like a kind of non, not easily countered counter spell for three mana or, you know, two mana and then, and then one mana, if you can manage to do it later, can replicate that functionality to some extent, which is why I'm, like, asking the question of, like, you know, is it possible that we're underestimating how card how good this card is? And, like, you know, we should be considering it in, in more places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not irrelevant, too, that, like, when you pay the Disturb cost, like, you get a flyer. Like, so for, like, the fairer, like, Thrasios Timna decks or, like, Timna Krom decks... You know, like you, you can accrue value just with the Geist. Um, and then like, you know, you you have like a personal defense grid, which is this pretty hot. Is so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't have the answer to that question yet. It feels like a card that kind of needs to be put through its paces to like get a feel yeah. for how powerful it might be, like what the ceiling on this card is. And, you know, if whether or not, um, you know, certain aspects of the card are too easily exploited. And if like the rate on other aspects of the card perhaps is not uh, competitive enough. Cobble, you uh, like the card Dovescape. And uh, I think this pairs very well with Dovescape, does it not? It, it really does. The, the thing that I think people need to be careful of with this card is that unlike uh, Grand Abolisher, or you know ranger captain um this is still interactable mm-hmm. right so um when you know in the hermadruid case if people are if they have universal counter magic you know like force of will um the disturb ability is not unearth so it's a cast so the disturb can be countered um 
So that's 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 one which piece. is a very which is good design on Wizards' parts. Yeah, too. but that does yes. apply to Grand Abolisher and right. uh, Ranger Captain. I mean, it it can. It it depends on how you get them into play. If you get them into play off of an activated ability from you know, um, sure, 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 fiend. You know. So, so that that's just one of those things that people need to take into account because savvy opponents will counter the disturb. Um, also, there is nothing that stops people from removing benevol- right. benevolent geist and then mm-hmm. countering the dread return. So it's it is it's really good. It's great protection, but it isn't flawless protection. So you still need to be prepared to protect it on top of you know you know it 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 isn't a perfect fail safe you know, in no. and of itself. Now, when you, when you combine it with Dovescape, then, <laughs> then both of those problems go away because no one can this counter we going with the disturb. Yeah. You guys, you guys can't see the smile on Cobble's face yeah. right now, but it's just like grin, like chin to chin or shit eating grin. Shit, yeah. Yes. So no one can counter the disturb. And no one can cast removal for the Geist. Um, so in in the case of, of Dubscape, it, it is actually a, um, a a solid seal um, that, you know, once you get Elish Norn or something like that. And it's a pretty good lock. No. Yeah. No one's going to do anything. But um, I have no illusions about the efficacy of Dubscape in the metagame. So. It's a dream, but it, <laughs> it sounds like a pretty good dream, though. <laughs> if you get all that stuff yeah, sure. all on the board at the same time, you deserve to win. Like, frankly, <laughs> it's you got the Exodia. Right. So like, like GG's, right? Yep. So, uh, but just to reiterate it, this is a phenomenal yeah. card that's mm-hmm. really flexible. Um, I mean, yes, it's good in the contexts that we talked about, but it's going to be good in other contexts mm-hmm. as well. I think it's it's uh, a great mid-range card just because you know early game it's got the you know rattlesnake counterspell uh, aspect to it and then you know at any other point it can just transition into a i win all the counterspell wars mm-hmm. kind of right. uh, situation or you know i can't be interacted with uh for for my combo um it, it just has a, a lot going for it and i i think that they showed I'm glad that design showed restraint mm-hmm. in making, you know, adding some points of vulnerability, you know, making the disturb a cast instead of, you know, an activated ability, making the, um, you know, the creature removable, um, you know, like in those things in, in modern, for instance, like you can bolt this in standard and historic. You can shock this like it's it's right. very interactable. Um, right. It, Whereas, you know, you think of Thassa's Oracle, where there was <laughs> right. very little restraint in the design there. And uh, this this looks much more measured. Yeah. And it's still a great card, but it's, I think, a, a better card. It's just card so well designed. As far as health-wise is concerned, yeah. yes. Yeah, um, I think, uh, I, I agree. It's it, My only caveat is that, like, I'm not 100% sure it's going to be like the slam dunk card of the set or like it's going to be a slam dunk 
type of card um, in like every context, but like there's decks that are really happy to get this card. Windmill like, slamming yeah, yeah, this card. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and like, obviously I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention Cole, Thunderfarts and, and Azami, uh, <laughs> you know, playing, you know, holding on. You Hope for the mono you blue dream freaking broke the curse. We've worked so hard to not mention that deck here and you've ruined it. <laughs> what have you done? Pongo shout out to Cole. We love um, you, Paul. Um, next card on our list is what I think should be the new name for the lab maniacs is a Triska Deca Triska Decafile. Did I say that right? Cobble. Yep. Um, okay, uh, so this is a new human wizard. That's a one three. It costs a colorless and a blue. Uh, and it says you have no maximum hand size at the beginning of your upkeep. If you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game and has an activated ability that costs three colorless and blue it says draw a card. So do you think Cobble that Cameron is going to be changing the name of the group anytime soon? Or is this card not quite good enough? I I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> so, well, I mean that I I I'm not high on this card, mm-hmm. but it it does have the text "Win the Game," so there's you know s- stuff to, to to look at and talk about. So, um, the no maximum hand size is it's meh. But, you know, there there are certain situations like with, um, you know, ad nauseum or necropotence where that actually becomes useful. Um, the having 13 cards in your hand, I mean, you're you're not gonna I, I, I don't see in a lot of situations where you're just going to accumulate cards kind of blindly because you you're going to be using those cards right. as play, you know, cause you're interacting with other players. So generally the way that these Thrasios or Kenrith, you know, draw abilities work is once you go infinite, then you just draw your deck. So getting to 13, I think most of the times you get to that point, you might as well have just drawn your whole deck. Right. And in that case, you don't need to, haven't I win the game on the card because you've drawn your deck and you're going to win anyway. So it with a different card that says I win the game. (laughs) Sure. But, um, I, I'm not super excited about this. I, I am, you know, I would love to be proven wrong, but you know, it, for me, it just, it's, it just doesn't get there. Pongo, what do you think? Do you think we should petition Cameron to change the name of the Lab Maniacs to the Triska Decafiles? I mean, <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. If they haven't changed their name to the Oracles, then we're not. <laughs> what are we doing? Right. I don't I don't think we're, we're changing it to Triska Decafiles anytime soon, um, which is to say I agree with Cobble that uh, this card um, kind of makes you jump through too many hoops compared mm-hmm. to like. Laboratory Maniac or Thassa's Oracle, more notably, um, to actually take advantage of that you win the game text. That being said, that is very powerful text. Um, And this is, you know, it it has a lot of additional text. I think, you know, the spellbook effect. Like flavor text. Yeah. (laughs) The spellbook (laughs) effect is not irrelevant in some cases. You know, one could imagine playing this in like a blue-black deck 
um, and like have necropotent stuff going on and like the no maximum hand size can be relevant. Um, you know, the only issue is that the Oracle exists and there's like so much pressure to play that card if you're in that color combination. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this is not doing quite enough, I think, to like alleviate that that pressure. So- so let me posit then a hypothetical. I get my wish. Thassa's Oracle gets banned tomorrow. All right. Is this now better or do we still just sit on lab Jason lab? Well, we're still, we're still just playing laboratory maniac. I think in the yeah. vast, vast majority of those shells, especially like the ones that have Timna and like you kind of have access to draw effects very easily as a result. Um, you know, does this get better? Like, is this more viable if your options are, do I want to go this route or this route, or is it still just unplayable? Yeah, I mean, so when you're talking about like Thassa's Oracle potentially getting banned, um, realistically, I think like just about everything gets more viable if that card gets banned, if mm-hmm. even just marginally. Um, and I think that's where I'm at with Triskaidekaphile, where it gets like <laughs> marginally more viable if that card gets banned, just because like Did it go from like a one to a two. <laughs> it, it, it goes from like a point one to a point two, perhaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, th- there are other situations or other places where I could conceivably see this card seeing play. Um, you know, we mentioned a zombie before. I'm sorry to mention her again. I got yelled at for that. Um, <laughs> And, and you know like that's that's a deck where the fact that this is a wizard is relevant the fact that it says you win the game is equally pretty relevant right because like it's hard to come by that kind of effect um still kind of has the issue of probably not being better than just like paradigm shift and thassa's oracle um and like the four mana draw card is super irrelevant <laughs> in that shell um the other place that i have seen people exploring this and this is going to be a shout out to to Reed, Sick Robot, is uh, I did see that he had brewed a Thrasios Elgeth deck. Um, if I'm remembering the commander properly, the partner, it's the mono blue Sphinx that makes it so that all of your scries oh, turn okay. into draws, which like with Thrasios, pretty freaking hot, I must say, um, <laughs> because you get to scry and then you also get to draw a card. So like you get to draw two cards off each activation. Um, okay. And then, you know, you're less incentivized in that shell to play Thassa's Oracle, even though, you know, you could conceivably play, um, like, Thought Lash type stuff in that deck too. Um, but, like, you know, I, I, it's possible that I'm, like, missing homes for this deck where it would make a lot of sense. But if there is one where it makes sense, it's, like, possibly in, in that deck. Where like it's clearly a control deck, um, and it's clearly just like kind of you know no offense sick but like a somewhat meme fringe kind of like value ball like blue green value. You know what? No, deck. no, no. Reed, don't let him don't let him shame you publicly into not playing this card. You I'm, play this card to your heart. There's no content. shame. I mean, like, listen, like I I, I will farm <laughs> wins off of Reed. Like I I will never tell anyone not to play anything. <laughs> I am I am all for people playing whatever they want and if they lose as a result like so be it. <laughs> oh man. Uh next card on our list is a card that might see some fringe play is a card called Spectral Adversary. It's a spirit that is 2/1 with flash and flying and uh the text on it is part of this is his new cycle of these. 
And uh, this one seemed a little bit more interesting than some of the other ones. This one says when Spectral Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay a colorless and a blue any number of times. When you pay, when you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Spectral Adversary. Then up to that many other target artifacts, creatures and or enchantments phase out. So Cobble... Where are we seeing this? Like this is very mana intensive, right? But it's it has flashed. It's a little bit defensive. What, what are we seeing with this? Um, I mean, I, I I think that Brago, which I mean doesn't see a whole lot of play, uh, is to me the 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 most likely place just because um, this is an enters the battlefield ability. And it's not an on cast ability. Mm-hmm. So um, being able to you know, get your blink going and then as it comes, you know, back into play and you've brought all of your 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 artifacts back into play untapped, you can just, um, you know, sink everything into uh, removing somebody's board or, you know, d- interacting with uh, people in a way that is disarming. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the the you know just phasing out uh people's permanence because you know phasing out people's permanence on your turn um is is not going to be great because once it comes back to their turn then they're going to phase back in so that's why this has flash um so even in that context uh of being able to blink it it it's okay um, you can you can use it to to keep people from interacting with you on your you know your your second main if you're going to go for a win or something like that. But I mean, it, even in the context of Brago, that's not when you win. You win during the combat step. Right. So I'm not super enthused. Pongo, do you think this is very good, or what are you thinking on it? Yeah, there was a good amount of hype around this card when it got spoiled. Um, I'm kind of in a similar boat to Cobble where I'm not necessarily sold on this card. Um, you know, obviously the interaction with Brago is cute. Um, and, and if there's any place where I could like maybe see it seeing play, it, it would be there just because this is technically removal that you can recur. Um, and, you know, you can, you can do fun stuff with it. Uh, and if there's like something like a no rod or a collector roof in play, you know, this kind of cleans it up nicely on your combo turns um, while also like being able to be used um, like slight, like in a slightly different way where you can kind of like end step it um, and, or, or, or even just use it at instant speed to like interact with, with something in particular. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about like, like a seedborn muse or something like the type of thing that you would potentially want to interact with, uh, sort of more proactively. Um, that being said, if we're talking about like the other potential home for it, like the sort of like Timna grindy mm-hmm. decks, uh, you know, I, I, I get the argument where it's like, okay, I can flash this out on end step and get rid of a, you know, like a hate piece and then, also, this is kind of like decent value is just like a Timna attacker, et cetera, et cetera. But it just kind of feels like very mana intensive to use this as an yeah. answer for anything. Like it feels like a lot, like four mana to answer something temporarily. Um, you know, it's 
it's possible that we should be evaluating this as kind of like a bounce spell that's like hard to counter, um, more mana intensive, but like can also be just played for two mana as like a Timna attacker and such like makes sense in like your like Timna Krom style decks. Um, but I don't know, like personally, I, I guess I would have to like see it in action before I could really believe it just because like I'm a little bit. I like I I don't know that um having that modality is necessarily better than just having a more efficient answer for things, right? right. Like just like a two mana answer. You know, in a lot of situations, like the type of thing that you would want to be removing uh is constraining your mana to some extent. And that just exacerbates like the issue of it costing four mana. So, you know. Uh, would you rate this a, a C then? Since you know we were we just got done doing our our tier list. I'm gonna I'm gonna rate it a wait and see, because uh, because I'm I'm interested to see you know people explore the card and see if it's actually yeah. uh, all that it's cracked up to be. Awesome. Well, next card on our list is as we start to move into the red cards is Cathartic Pyre. It is an instant that costs one colorless and a red and it's modal. It says choose one Cathartic Pyre deals three damage to target target creature or player. The other option is discard up to two cards to draw that many cards. So Pongo with this card, uh, we're really or excuse me with Cobble. We're really seeing with this card that there's some. Uh, comparisons you can made to hey look we have another abrade variant yeah and it's not really an abrade but it, it's it's a it's a modal two mana red instant that lets you remove a card or remove a creature and have the option to do a different mm-hmm. thing so um, in most circumstances uh, the option to remove an artifact I think is going to be more impactful than doing a, a careful study but i mean there's going to be circumstances where you've got underworld breach in play and you know being able to cast this to you know just basically draw four cards is you know that's it's reasonable right. um it's it's an interesting design area just because it can enable you know certain circumstances of you know reanimation if people are doing sire of insanity kind of shells um it's it's interesting i i don't think that it bumps a braid out of most lists pongo your thoughts on this one yeah i would tend to agree with cobblepot where it's like um you have to be playing a very very specific deck i think where like you are excited to have the faithless looting effect not that faithless looting isn't a good card it's obviously kind of a stupid card um if other formats banned lists are anything to go by but like it's not an effect that you necessarily want in many many decks in this format um you know even reanimator decks like are not really playing all that many like just one time one shot discard outlets anymore. Like if you look at like Razakats, which like in the Thrasios Timna version obviously can't play this card, but like historically played um it historically played like one off like draw to discard to like kind of like like the uh, careful study 
type mm-hmm. cards. Frantic you know, search. Frantic search. Um, I, I don't even know that they're playing uh, like Mausoleum Wanderer or, any, or not Mausoleum Wanderer, the um, the two mana creature uh, discard outlet uh, where that draws a card whenever any, uh, an opponent casts a card from not in their hand. Oh, the Phantasm. Yeah, exactly. The Spirit. Uh, uh, ghostly yeah, yeah, there something. You go. um, ghostly ghostly pilfer. pilfer. Exactly. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, I don't know that that card makes the cut in all of those decks anymore. Um, and and that kind of just like is just kind of going to show that like the one time disc draw discard kind of utility is not necessarily um, super valuable valued anymore. Um, I know that, for example, Quark Sagashima is playing Faithless Looting. This is maybe a card that they would be interested in as potentially an upgrade, um, just because it's also an instant, which like kind of helps make up for the fact that it costs one additional mana. You can't flash it back, which kind of sucks because that's actually a pretty relevant part of Faithless Looting if you've ever played right. much of that card. Um, but the fact that this is creature removal is actually quite good. Um, like we were talking about before, you know, we certainly should be playing more of that. I think people shouldn't be playing more of that, but that's obviously for selfish reasons. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with Cobble. This isn't necessarily taking the place of a braid for the decks that want more flexible removal. Um, it's, it's interesting to see like, I don't know what number version of this card this is, right? Because we got, like you find some prisoners last set as well. Right. Um, so I don't know if this is three or four, but this is like kind of quickly becoming like the into the Royal design space for red, which is pretty funny. <laughs> like the two mana red instant that like either deals three damage to a creature or removes an artifact and then does like some other thing. But these ones are like, you know, no shade to like into the Royal. These are like way cooler. Um, <laughs> like most of them are way cooler. Um, on to our next card on the list is um, a card that uh, we have on here specifically for our friend uh, Ken. Speaking of, uh, speaking of Kirk, <laughs> is Curse of Shaken Faith. It is an enchantment or a curse that costs one colorless and a red, and you enchant player. Uh, when enchanted player casts a spell other than the first spell they cast each turn or copies a spell curse of shaken faith deals two damage to them. So Pongo, uh, we have here in big, bold letters in our notes, uh, to do what with this card? <laughs> cast this on the Quark player, obviously, <laughs> um, pretty relevant that it says whenever they copy a spell coincidentally, um, yeah, this is going to ruin their day. It's really quite difficult for them to interact with this short of their blue uh, bounce spells. Um, and obviously they're kind of halted from progressing as long as this is on. Right. Them. Uh, it, or, or, you know, they can try, but like, this is going to kill them pretty quickly. Uh, this is not a playable card to be absolutely clear. Um, I think that if you were interested in this effect, like in earnest and not just like to to grief the resident Quark player. <laughs> you would probably play Idol on the Great Revel rather than this. And and I think um, you know, just tax like every spell that people are playing, even if it's just like the first one each turn. Um, which for what it's worth i do think is a wor- is a worthwhile card in some I, I think there is a burn shell out there that we just haven't explored that is worth playing talking about. Anyway. 
back to what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, it is relevant that um, that this counts every spell as opposed to just mm-hmm. like spells that cost like a certain CMC or less. And copies. And and copies, yeah, not irrelevant, but it's so narrow that it only affects one player, right? Right. Like you you certainly want this effect, I think, to affect everyone and to be more of like a hate piece as opposed to like kind of like a very specific targeted like irritation. Like <laughs> right. um so so yeah, I, I don't actually think that this is necessarily uh a playable card in CEDH just because there's other options that do the same thing better. Yeah, that's fair. Um, on to our next card. This card looks like it might be playable um, is Moonville regions. Part of a new sort of card we've been getting from, from wizards here recently, the Regent cycle of cards. Uh, it's a dragon. That's a four, four that costs three colorless and a red with flying. And it says, whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do draw a card for each of that cards or of that spells colors, when Moodvale Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. So uh, Cobble, when we look at this card, what are we thinking with it? Uh, is it does it make the cut? Where does it fit? What are your thoughts? So this can be used in a couple of different ways. I mean, the I think the the intended design space was for people to, you know, go Wooberg and find a way to make some sort of an engine where they're, uh, you know, drawing five cards, casting one of them, dumping your hand, drawing five more cards, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. Um, Where I I think in, in, in practice, this is, is really going to be much more of a mono red card where, um, you know, you're in that typical situation where you've got nothing in hand and you just need to draw more cards. So, um, and you're, you're basically just pulling things off of your top deck anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't think that it's uh, tremendous in that way uh, just because it, it still doesn't solve the problem of when you hit a land. Right. Um, is you know once 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 there's land on top of your deck, you know all the cards that are of that vein that let you cast the top card of your deck or or whatever, um, then you're you don't have a lot to work with. So um, for that reason, I'm not particularly you know interested. There's there's people talking about using it with painter's servant, um, which I don't know if that makes this. Uh, worse because you know it's going to make your spells monocolor so it I, I don't know quite how that interaction will work but i'm not convinced that that's going to be great uh, some people talk about onamar and you know basically in onamar this would be a, a one mana card that then becomes a a storm variant if you've got uh, something that can bounce itself when it comes back. Uh, so, you know, presumably uh, the ancestral statue, mm-hmm. which is the colorless four mana bounce a creature when it comes into play. Um, 
in which case you would draw your deck. Well, except that this um, is you draw a card for each well, of that spell's colors, right? Ah, yeah, so that wouldn't even work. So, so yeah. Yeah, I really don't like this card. <laughs> well, I mean, Interesting. you can do yeah. some stuff with, uh, like, Shrieking Drake in this card, right? Um, because this is a cast trigger. So you would have the Shrieking Drake on the stack. Um, then, like, you discard your hand, draw a card, and then you can, like, do that repeatedly. Um, you know, it's interesting to think about. I'm not so sure that that deck wants that type of like pretty high variance sort of engine. Um, right. It has like a lot of access to already to like effectively one mana cards that generate a lot of value. But it's interesting to think about because, like you mentioned, with you know Painter Servant, um, and that's a deck that plays Painter Servant. <laughs> so like, if there was ever like the conjunction of factors or like the combination of things or, or a place where those two things are coming together, it's Animar, right? Um, but ultimately if I'm evaluating this card, uh, not in the context of Animar, um, I think that this is a constructed card. I think that this is very much like a pushed mythic meant to be played as the top end in like a red based aggro deck, uh, mm-hmm. in standard. Um, and like, if you think about this in the context of aggro, it's actually pretty absurd, right? Because by the time you hit four mana, you're probably like emptying out your hand. And then you're kind of cantripping with like your all your top decks that are not lands from that point on, which is like pretty hot. And it's also a four four. And also like right. conveniently, it like does a little bit of damage when it dies, which is not a relevant text, especially when you're trying to kill them dead quick. Um so so yeah, maybe maybe it doesn't see play in CDH, but but I'm not too concerned about this guy finding a home somewhere. Yeah. Next card on the list is an artifact that is Moon Sliver Key. Very important in the story of the set, evidently. Uh, it's costs two colorless mana, and its activated ability costs one colorless mana. You tap it, sacrifice the card, and search your library for an artifact card with a mana ability or a basic land card. Reveal it put it into your hand, then shuffle. So, um, Pongo, when we look at this card, it's kind of similar to Expedition Map-ish, uh, but it does have the ability to find, like, Mox Opal, and, oh, or not is... Mox Opal, but all those things. Like, where where, where do we stand this on this? This is a terrible Expedition Map. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think that that basic land part is, is, relevant. is relevant for any context other than limited, uh, the limited format where this is going to see play. Um, like, obviously, why are we playing this card? Is <laughs> because it tutors an artifact. Um, I'm supremely interested in this card for Kinnon in particular, where it finds Basalt Monolith. Uh, that deck just wants more ways to to win the game, basically to like find your Basalt Monolith. And the really cool part about this card is that we just recently got Treasure Vault, um, which mm-hmm. also happens to be an artifact with a mana ability. So this is both a tutor for Basalt Monolith as well as a purely colorless way uh, post-Basalt Monolith to tutor for an outlet for the infinite mana off that combo. So this feels to me like a slam dunk for that deck. And it's like one of those cards like we were talking about before that just to me, if we get more cards like this that really push that treasure vault plan in Kinnon. I'm both going to, I'm going to simultaneously be happy and sad, happy that that deck is getting more powerful because I love that deck, but sad Mm -hmm. because all that 
effort that I put in developing the Mirage mirror lines are going to become that much more redundant and, and ultimately probably irrelevant. Uh, Is it time to put, put those lines to bed yet? No, we're not. I don't think we're quite there yet. And I guess it's worth bringing that up while we're discussing this card. Um, You know, you still probably want to play treasure mage just because uh, it lets you convert your creature tutors into basalt monolith. And then once you're playing Treasure Mage, you probably just want to be playing a three-mana outlet um, that's pure colorless, like an artifact um, mm-hmm. that it can also tutor up, uh, assuming you know you have another way to, to get infinite colorless, or, or rather another way to tutor up Basalt Monolith in your hand. Um, and you know that kind of implies that you want to keep all those lines um, with like Phantasmal Image. Uh, excuse me, not necessarily Phantasmal Image, but obviously you can play that, but but rather Phyrexian Metamorph, um, just so you can have like the purely colorless way to clone your Treasure Mage um, right. and, and kind of just go off that way, um, right. tutoring both pieces. But uh, no, this is a great card. Really great to have redundancy for artifact tutors. You know, I think that there's other decks that are probably interested in this card as well. Um, but like, yeah. I think the preferred pattern... Go ahead for uh, turning it into a basalt monolith is casting this and then transmute artifact. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, that's for sure. But, but jokes aside, um, what's really sick about this card actually is that um, Kinnon is a deck. I think that as much as possible loves to be able to do everything with colorless mana. Um, Because if you think about it, you have like a lot of lines where, you accelerate out a bunch of rocks, you get Kinnon. Um, you know, if you have like a Soul Ring or like a Mana Crypt or something like that, uh, there's many situations where that mana, you don't necessarily get to use it because like your hand is pretty color mana intensive. Um, but to be able to go like, you know, Kinnon and then like Soul Ring into this um, is is pretty damn sweet. And this kind of has like the Wishclaw Talisman effect where you can even play it out in advance and then get like a one mana tutor for Basalt Monolith on like the turn you're ready to commit to a win. Mm-hmm. So this is uh this is a slam dunk card there at least. And I could see um, it in uh in other low colored decks that really care about a particular artifact with the mana ability. Right. Cobble, what are your thoughts? When I first read it, I I got really excited because I thought that it said artifacts with an activated ability (laughs) Uh, and it was like oh man there's all kinds of things that you know you can get with this and then i read it more carefully and then realized oh okay so you either get a mox or you get basalt monolith or phyrexian Mm -hmm. altar or something like that um the the mana flow for it is a little bit awkward you know we compared it to expedition map mm-hmm. which flows nicely because it's a one mana artifact then then you activate for two um this is a two mana artifact that you activate for one so it's a little bit clumsy in that way um but beyond that i think that basically everything that pongo said is is right on it's you know for for the decks that want this ability this is a, a great tool because it's just going to add more redundancy for them to be able to uh, get those lines uh, put together uh, in a consistent way. Yeah. 
Next card on our list, as we start to look into the multicolor cards, is Brutal Cathar. It is a three mana, it costs two colorless and a white, human soldier werewolf, 2-2, two, two, that says when this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield and it's a day bound night bound card so if if a player casts no spells during their turn it becomes night next turn um and then if you cast a spell uh and it's night out it comes in night right is that correct if you cast two spells while it's night it becomes day well my my question was is if i cast this and it's night time in the like because it's like a an action oh, in okay. the game so it, it so if it's currently night this is such a weird mechanic if it's currently night does it, it comes into play on the flip side yes, right correct yeah okay so the, the the flip side is a night bound card that says moon rage it's moon rage moon rage did i say that right brute yep uh which is a three three werewolf with first strike and ward you have to pay three life the big hook to this cobble is there's a there's a deck that a good friend of ours is a big fan of uh who runs runs that winota deck and uh what are your thoughts on this this card in general but also in the winota shell i think that in the winota shell it's absolutely excellent um just because the the front face of this is a human Mm -hmm. so it can be found and and put onto the the battlefield off of the Winota triggers. And then once it flips, then it triggers Winota. So uh, you got excellent synergy there. Uh, the ability of, you know, the, the fiend hunter kind of ability where it comes into play and exiles a creature. Uh, something to be, you know, r- real clear about is that that, that ability will keep on triggering every time it flips and the wording of transform is does not mean that you exile the card and bring it back into play. You just flip it. Yep. So the the card never actually leaves play. So instead of just kind of continually exiling the the same creature again and again, this accumulates more and more creatures as it flips. So uh, it becomes you know pretty useful in in that regard as far as uh, being a repeatable. Um, means of of keeping threatening creatures or you know commanders off of the battlefield that said uh, outside of winota i mean things that are going to have red and white it, the i can think of like blood pod i don't know if this gets there in blood pod mm-hmm. um i don't know if blood pod gets there anymore um but i i, I think that the synergy that it has for Winota is exciting enough to warrant uh, this card getting some play in that context. Yeah, I think there's an interesting tension um, that this card has with a lot of the decks that would, I think, conceivably play it. Um, And Winota is probably an exception to that rule that I'll get into. Um, But it turns out that a lot of the decks that would want to be playing this card are also playing Rule of Law Effects. And if you're playing rule of yeah. law effects, it becomes essentially impossible to leave night um, unless the rule of law effect can be removed. Um, mm-hmm. So that means that you're probably not getting that 
much like repeated value out of this card in many circumstances. Um, that being said, not necessarily that big of a deal for Winota because I think if you're playing Winota, you are already content that this is a hit off of Winota that is just going to answer one creature. Um, and if it does flip into the Moonrage Brute, then it's a Winota trigger, right? It just, even if you can't use it as an engine, um, you get to use it as an engine. So that's right. that's pretty sweet. Um, so I certainly agree with, you know, everything that's been said. Uh, and yeah, I think that that's the natural home for it just because there is that that kind of awkward tension for a lot of the other contexts you would want to play it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next card on our list is Suspicious Stowaway, which is a human rogue werewolf, another werewolf that costs a colorless and a blue. It's a 1-1, one, one, and it says Suspicious Stowaway can't be blocked. Whenever Suspicious Stowaway deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, then discard a card. And uh, it is also a daybound, nightbound card, so that's its daybound face. Its nightbound face is Seafaring Werewolf, uh, that is a 2-1, and it also can't be blocked, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So it's the same card, it just ends up getting uh, one extra point of damage in. Uh, Pongo, what is? what are your thoughts on, slight, on slight this? Slight correction, it's not the same card, actually. Uh, it goes from being right. a There's looter no to being just a straight draw. Oh, that's correct, that's correct. Um, this is... I'm, I'm about to geek out again, but like the design for this card is actually freaking funny um like it's really cute that it goes from being a blue card that is loots when it deals damage which is you know fully a blue card thing into being a green card which is ostensibly supposed to be like kind of worse at drawing cards than a blue card but like mm -hmm. actually kind of hard draws a card um you know the other really funny part about this card is that it is fully just a blue card like it does not need to be a green card um so, you know, that aspect of it is kind of cute. Um, the fact that that it becomes green when it flips, but ultimately you're always playing it off of blue mana, so it's not really remotely a color pie break. Right. Um, even though it does discard a card, which is, like, looting is not really a thing that green would do. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a pretty fun card. Um, it's in that awkward spot of being, you know, like a two-mana... Uh, you know, quote unquote, draw engine um, that doesn't necessarily give you value right away because of summoning sickness. Whereas we have like a lot of alternatives that uh, can give you some value right away. Notably, like we can look at like Mindblade Render uh, in like Najila decks. Um, alternatively, you know, now we can also be talking, well, we, we mentioned it before, but like the Ghostly Pilferer, which um, can give you some degree of value right away. And if you were considering playing this for like the looting aspect, you would almost certainly play that card before this because it's just a free discard outlet. Um, you know, these are sort of a combination of factors that mean that this card doesn't necessarily have any clear great home with one exception uh, that can't be blocked text. And in addition, that rogue text uh, are supremely relevant for one deck and that's Edric. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that like Edric is the type of deck that historically has considered playing um, looter, like looter core, 
just because like it yeah. can't be blocked really. Um, and then just like drawing a card and then like also looting on top of that is kind of like enough value that that deck is happy to play this or that this is like pretty much just like a straight upgrade from that card. Uh, you know, it has the relevant creature typing and then it can also flip into something that is a little bit more powerful. Um, and it's in the color identity. So, you know, if there was ever going to be a deck to play this card, it would be that. Yeah. Cobble, any, any other thoughts on this? Is this maybe something that you could play in TNT? I mean, it's possible. I mean, anything that is evasive is going to fit well with Timna. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's conceivable is it something that is that upside good enough to warrant its inclusion i mean uh you still see okay my adversary rarely from time to time yeah. rarely um you don't really see much bob anymore either right so it's 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 one of those things where i i, I think it's a slam dunk in edric but in other places it's not i, I don't know if it's compelling enough um i did want to just push back on pongo saying that uh it's not in green's identity to have creatures that draw cards and oh no I'm it thinking of okay, <laughs> okay adversary toasty bearer oh, I'm, I'm of secrets it's, or in frost it's not Fang. in green's color identity to have a, to loot okay yeah so you can draw but but um you know this is a card that's not fully a green card it's fully a blue card <laughs> Which is fine because you pay blue mana to play it. That makes sense. But yeah, that's all that I had. Yeah. Next commander on our list is a uh, well, first first commander or next commander on our list. Yeah, um, is old stick fingers. It costs X black and a green, and its power and toughness are equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. And uh, what it says is whenever you cast the spell, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal X creature cards. Put all creature cards revealed this way into your graveyard, then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So Cobblepot, there are some builds with this, specifically reanimator builds, that are wanting to be doing uh, necrotic ooze sorts of things, correct? Yeah. So basically... Those decks are uh, making it such that there's only three or four creatures in the deck uh, besides the, the commander, so that uh, when you do cast your commander, you, you know exactly what you're going to be milling into the yard. And uh, basically, you um, have some sort of reanimation in hand, and you cast your commander and then reanimate the, the, the news and then uh, you go off. So the there's a couple different ways people can do it. I mean, you can have uh, Walking Ballista and Phyrexian Devourer plus, you know, Necrotic Ooze and, you know, just shoot everybody in the face. Or you can use Necrotic Ooze with Asmodeus, the new demon from Forgotten Realms, and Scourge Familiar to draw your deck and then do whatever you want. Um, the notable thing there being uh, Asmodeus has the, the the drawback of not being able to draw the cards, but that's on Asmodeus. So if you're activating that ability with uh, Necroticus, then you don't have that drawback, so you do get to right. draw the cards. So um, 
And in both cases, uh, some people throw in as a fourth creature, Sylvan Safekeeper, as a way to protect the combo. Um, and there's no th- hole breacher to screw up uh, Asmodeus anymore. That's right. Um, and you can, you know, ostensibly use Survival of the Fittest, but generally that's not a great card in decks that have four creatures. Mm-hmm. So the the thing about this that is is hard is that one of the things that black and green are really good at is one tutoring creatures and you know two ramp and most of the ramp in green mm-hmm. is going to be dorks which you're not going to want to run because you're going to only be running the specific creatures that you're uh, looking for as part of your combo and you're not going to run your tutors that you know your um eldritch evolution kind of cards either because you want to use your commander to assemble your combo so it it's it's one of those things where the the imposition of only being able to have the you know three or four creature cards in the deck Mm -hmm. really undermines the deck's ability to do what black and green are really good at doing right and um i mean ostensibly you could instead of making it a combo deck you can try to come up with something that is a more typical green black deck that you know just uses the commander for value but that isn't really something that is going to, I think, be compelling in the CEDH metagame. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those things where it's it's a really interesting design space. It's a it's an interesting idea. Uh, I just don't think it's it's going to get there. Pongo, you we were talking about this before we went on air, and uh, you have not been hearing very positive things from the people who have been brewing this, correct? Uh, yeah. So the only thing that I would kind of um, add to what Cobble was talking about is actually, I think most of the lines that have been discussed there are not necessarily sort of like the, the fashionable lines that people are using uh, in their current brews for this deck. Uh, even though I think that they're kind of like some of the more obvious, like starting places to brew this, this commander. But I think that, uh, you know, Connie from the R slash competitive EDH, Discord has done a lot of work with this deck. Um, that's concrete on Moxfield. Um, and so she essentially worked out, or I mean, I'm not sure if she did, but but she uh, writes about some lines in her primer for the deck um, where you pile with Sidisi Undead Vizier. So that's like the mono black Sidisi. That's a demonic tutor. Mm-hmm. Micaeus the Unhallowed and a card called Rot Hulk. Um, Rot Hulk being... Uh, a card that when it enters the battlefield, you return up to X target zombie cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the number of opponents you have. So traditionally, typically you're going to have three opponents, um, which means that you get to bring up to three zombies back. Micaeus and Sidisi are both zombies, so you clearly bring those back. Um, then you've got Micaeus giving non-human creatures uh, undying. So you get to kind of like double tutor with Sidisi um and you know the lines are kind of more or less like similar in concept except that you know you don't have to necessarily worry too too much about 
like some of the issues that you can occasionally run into, like with the news piles uh, and being weaker to like, um, you know, like certain forms of, of hate. Um, so, so these seem to be at least the fashionable lines. Um, and, and, you know, you're getting to tutor a bunch of times and like netting mana off of like, you know, uh, like calling ritual or, or just like calling the weak type cards, um, that you're tutoring for. So, so, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of not incredibly relevant how you're winning and like the pile itself is ultimately constructed in a way that no matter what cards you're using, it should kind of just win on the spot. I think while being as weak to as little hate as possible um, and, and, and resistant to as much uh, interaction as possible. But like the problem with this commander from what I gather is that it, it ends up still being pretty mana intensive to pull the lines off. Um, you're not necessarily in great colors to extend the game to the point where you have access to all that mana. Um, and obviously you can play a ton of ritual type effects, but like you're pretty vulnerable on the axis of like your reanimation spell, which is kind of like your one card win condition once you've cast and, and entombed with stick fingers. Um, so, so it just, you know, again, from what I gather, from what I hear, it just kind of appears that, uh, the the piles are not compelling enough. The wind condition is not mana efficient enough um, to really, I guess, uh, consistently hang with some of the more mana efficient or or more grindy black green options or or even higher color options in the format. Well, until like what you were saying, Cobble. I mean, like you, you don't get to run any of the good creatures effectively and creature tutors in these colors and that really takes away from why you're wanting to play like green black to begin with. Right. Right. And, um, and even some of the things that you have as protection, uh, things that, you know, like Allosaurus shepherd or destiny spinner, you know, you know, the, the permanent, uh, cards that give you some level of protection, uh, where you don't have stack interaction, um, in, in this shell, the the constraints of of the deck make it so that you can't run those, and it you know it it just it it's uh, kind of just uh, self defeating. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, it's a it's a cool design and it's thought provoking, but um, it just isn't going to get there. Right. It's it's interesting that it's the type of card that does conceivably get stronger with new cards being printed. Um, right. and you know, you could easily envision a world where, um, you know, we get a more compelling compact, like two card combo. Um, but, but, you know, it seems like most of the, the combos thus far are mostly, mostly three card combos that people are trying out, which puts like, you know, X equals three. Um, so like five mana up front plus your reanimation spell makes it a little bit expensive um, you know, I, I, again, we're, we're talking about a space where like, we're going to get tons of new creatures that do things in the graveyard, um, or provide, you know, some value when reanimated or, you know, like do powerful things when reanimated or, you know, just traditional green black things. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before this deck gets something 
similar to like when Cody got profane tutor that like really pushes it way, mm-hmm. way more into the viability tier. Um, but obviously I, I think, you know, like not, not, you shouldn't read too much into that comparison. I don't, I don't know that we'll ever, this will ever get a card ever see another, <laughs> another Cody. Yeah. I don't know that you'll ever see a card that, that makes this, uh, as good as, you know, five color ad nauseum, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, it, I could easily see it getting, uh, pushed more, you know, closer to other green black options like, like Verals, for example. Yeah. Um, next card up on our list is a card that I know uh, you are probably a little bit excited about, Pongo, is Rite of Harmony. It's a green and a white instant that says whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control this turn, draw a card. And it has flashback that costs two colorless and green and white. So, Pongo, uh, this is a Najila card, isn't it? Yeah, with the caveat that it still might not be good enough. Um, but because, you know, Najila is, um, the, the sort of barrier to entry for just like five color good stuff is exceptionally high. Um, so naturally this has like incredible synergy with Najila, right? Um, this kind of works the way we hoped Mystic Reflection would work, but didn't ultimately pan out. Um, you know, I, I've played around with this card a little bit. I've had in a few games and it's impressed. Um, but that, you know, it still has kind of some awkwardness. You know, what I really like about it is that it's only two mana, um, which means that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting to play it early. Um, and also you can kind of double spell on the same turn. Um, so it's like perfectly reasonable to play this and still have the ability to hold up interaction. Um, you know, the challenging part about this card is that, a pretty typical curve with Najila is to play Najila on turn two. Um, you know, I've been pushing the deck more and more to try to get turn one Najilas, which I think, you know, you can speak from experience. Callahan happens a lot more these days yeah. uh, than it used to. And Rite of Harmony becomes a lot more powerful when you get a turn one Najila. Um, but if you think about like the kind of baseline case of getting Najila on turn two, um, this is turn three you know, with Najila only draw one card for two mana, which is not spectacular. Um, obviously, you can also just play like a mana dork and draw another card, or you can play like your Carpet of Flowers and this and draw a card, which is absurd. Um, you know, you can also play like Dockside Extortionist and like take extra combat steps and draw additional cards. Um, so, you know, even early on when you don't necessarily have a ton of warriors in play, it can still do some kind of nutty things. But more often than not, if you have the turn two Najila, you know, you're looking to cast this maybe on turn four. And the awkward part is that turn four is kind of like the turn where Najila is got everything she needs to try to win. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, what's cool about this card is that it's kind of like you can conceive of it as kind of occupying sort of like the Toski slot for certain Najila builds. Or, or at least you can compare it to that card um, where that's a four mana grind engine, which, you know, kind of also most likely comes down on the later turn, you know, uh, turn three if you're willing to tap out or turn four if you're, you know, if you want to play it and be able to double spell, you know, hold up interaction. Um, you know, this card, 
is kind of similar value to Toski in in that those very early turns. Um, and then you can flash it back later. So mm-hmm. the flashback, I think, is what really pushes this card to uh, an, an, an interesting place for me because I don't mind playing this as a draw two very early, um, just as essentially like, you know, uh, read the bones or like a, you know, like a sign in blood type of effect, uh, like an, an early draw two, potentially like even more if I then get to play a mana dork or something like that. Um, you know, because if the game gets grindy, I can then flash it back for four mana. Um, right. and, and obviously if the game gets to that point where you've got like a ton of Najila tokens, this can easily draw you 10 cards. Like the ceiling on this card is absurd. Um, so it's got a nice floor. It's got a reasonable floor. Um, and it's got, you know, an insane ceiling obviously. And so, so I like the fact that this card is usable even early. Uh, it's also even usable if the Najila plan has been disrupted because you can kind of just like baby storm off using, you know, like carpet of flowers as like an draw trigger. And then like, you know, you draw into a birds of paradise and like, you know, you're kind of drawing through those dead draws that are just mana dorks mm-hmm. after like a board wipe or something has occurred. Um, whereas like a lot of the other options, if you know, if you look at like Toski or if you look at like Edric, um, there are situations where these feel very win more because like, you know, you play them when you're already pretty ahead on board and you're like already like able to connect with people. Um, and like, you're just netting warriors. And so like, everything's kind of going well for you anyway. Right. You know, this, you know, it's good in a lot of situations, even if things are not going perfectly well for you. So that makes it, interesting so i know that's maybe i'm like less enthusiastic about this card than i was about um like moon silver key but that's because i don't know if it makes the cut but but i'm actively testing yeah. it and uh i've been i've been reasonably impressed thus far yeah uh cobble do you think this has a home anywhere outside of najila potentially <laughs> i uh this this brings me back to a version of Derevi that oh I boy. made um, a long time ago that was a token storm deck that the wizard um, ball. used uh, uh, no oh. not wizard ball oh. um, it 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 used more instants and sorceries than creatures oh I and, see um, it it used beck and call right. which is very similar to right right, right of harmony um, but it stuff. Yeah. But it right, uh, and you know Dovescape. Yeah, nice. Um, but uh, running things like Sylvan Offering and Sprout Swarm and uh, Luminarch Ascension and uh, Sacred Mesa, uh, all of which, when you first of all create a ton of tokens, you get a ton of Derevi triggers. So all of those tokens can you know trigger, and all of them pile up on Gaia's Cradle, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, creating a whole lot of mana because there's so many creatures and you're untapping it and retapping it and generating all it's more the creatures in every version of, of Derevi. That's what people don't realize <laughs> right. about that card. It doesn't matter what version of Derevi you're playing. Guy's Cradle is the win condition. <laughs> so um, this one, I, I mean, th- this makes me want to go and revisit that, that, that list and see if it can be 
if if there's enough tools to actually make it more more than just a meme um that that would be the dream but that's that's where i'm gonna try it okay yeah i, well, I should next, note that i, oh, I kind of land for this card which like feels pretty reasonable like mm-hmm. because you know i i wouldn't want to cut a land for a four drop Man. but like cutting a land for a two drop that can like just kind of cycle pretty readily um that's such a phoenix move <laughs> That's such a Jeremy move. I mean, but at Jesus. the same time, like, how much mana? Do, like, Najila doesn't need that much mana. Like, mm-hmm. like Derevi costs three mana to, to win count to with, five. Right? Like, it's Najila makes her own resources, so it, it's right. It's, I'm testing it right, um, and it hasn't really punished me yet. So Phoenix has been really high on it. He's liked it a lot. Yeah, I um, think again, like sometimes you get you get those situations where like Phoenix was even telling me like where he, he did exactly what I described with Dockside, where he took like an extra mm-hmm. combat with it. Um, and then like kind of drew a ton of cards, um, just by taking an extra combat step, um, off of like a particularly fat Dockside. Um, so that's, that's sweet. Like that is yet to happen to me, but I really hope that it will, you know, the other cool thing about this card that kind of, um, for anyone who might be wondering like why we never play like a beck and call type of card um, is that it's an instant. And that's actually like quite relevant for Najila mm-hmm. because you open yourself. Like it's weird that it's an instant because like it's only creatures that enter the battlefield under your control. So like how often do you actually like plan on casting this on somebody else's turn? Not super often, but like in Najila it's relevant because you cast it when you have the Najila triggers on the stack. So, like, you can't just get blown out by, like, having to cast this in the main phase and then somebody removes Najila and then you get no value out of it. It's very safe from right. that perspective. If it gets countered, it gets countered. But, like, at least you didn't get, like, two for ones, right? Right. Uh, next card on this list is a card that I'm actually kind of excited about. I think this is an interesting uh, shell is Katilda Dawnheart Prime. It's a green-white human warlock that is a 1-1, and it's a legendary creature that has protection from werewolves, and human creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any color in this creature's, or any, add one mana of any of this creature's colors there. I can read, guys, I swear. Um, And then it also has the ability of being like Gavany Township. You tap for... Four colorless, a green and a white. You tap it, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. So uh, when we look at this card cobble in the type of shells that this is going into, um, where does this kind of land as a as a card and as a deck? It, I think, um, probably fits in in stack decks uh, that are already running a lot of hate bears Mm -hmm. that um so one of the things about the old terevi hate bear lists was that you would have these static abilities on these hate bears and then generally you wouldn't get any other value out of them but being able to attack and then untap or tap down other permanents um, allowed them to kind of do double duty where they would have their static effect plus the ability to generate mana Mm -hmm. or to deny mana to, to other players. This is is similar in that uh, that 
as long as the, the the hate creatures that you're using or the value creatures that you're using, like Esper Sentinel, uh, happen to be humans, then they're also mana dorks as well. So this can, one, if, if this is your commander, it can allow you to not run mana dorks, but run more uh, low cost or, you know, efficient humans that have uh, some sort of upside that then allows you to kind of use them flexibly either for mana or for doing other things. Uh, but, you know, seeing this in the 99, it, it, it may, I mean, we, we've had cryptolithrite and, mm-hmm. and other effects similar to this and they, they don't really right. see, see play. Um, I, I don't know if this, in the 99 is, is, is compelling enough to, to, to warrant a slot in the, you know, green, white plus, you know, green, white X, um, stacks lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just depends on how many, about the density of, of humans that you're going to have there to, to dictate how much value you're going to get out of it. Yeah. I think it's absolutely a commander in my opinion. I, I, I don't think that I would, play this over cryptolithrite and i don't know that i would play cryptolithrite um but i do think as a commander it's pretty compelling because like you said you can you don't have to play dorks uh, you can pretty much focus up on playing high value creatures um pongo what are your thoughts on katilda i mean so i get what you're saying where you you know you're you're putting forth the notion that you might not have to play dorks because this is a two drop but i feel like Ultimately, you probably still do want to play dorks. I think you still because, do. Like, yeah, you yeah. want the mana acceleration. So like, I don't know that you're actually even getting that kind of value um, of like improving sort of like your, your deck card quality by not playing mana dorks, if that's how we want to um, frame it. Um, you know, additionally, I don't even know that there would be enough particularly good humans in this color combination to fill right. those slots that you would want to play over mana dorks anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I know you're pretty high on this card Callahan, but I, I personally kind of just don't see it. Um, you know, it's possible that we have to like talk through this card and like through the lines, um, you know, after the show or some other time, like maybe I'm missing something, but you know, from my perspective, you know, the issue with a deck like this is that you generally want to be drawing cards if if you're going to be playing such a slow game plan that's going to rely on you, like, getting, like, enough humans into play such that, like, you can, like, effectively win with with this as, as like, a combo enabler. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can see like the obvious lines with like Emil and stuff like that, but like, it still takes like a good amount of board presence, um, to do that. You know, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that I would play this over another similar option that can draw cards or just an option, um, in higher colors, right? Because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a powerful enough engine uh, or combo enabler to warrant giving up those those options. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair, I suppose. I don't know it. the The thing that really 
brings me to it is the fact that it is sort of a win con in the command zone because you can just, you know, make a pretty big board. Um, you know, if you have once you have a meal and like I believe Village Bell Ringer, you just make infinite mana with enough humans and you, it, right? Yeah, right. Um, well, you have to have four humans yeah. to make infinite mana with it, right? Um, which is so not trivial because you also don't get to use the bell ringer as one of those because it'll be summoning sick, right? Right, but like it doesn't really matter, right? Because once you get the chain going, you're off, and there are I, I I've noticed this through playing um a lot of academy rector stuff is I think we underestimate how many really good human creatures there are in the meta. And I think there's more than people realize, like, because it's, it's, I, I believe it's like the most common creature type besides elves. And I, I think like elves, humans, and goblins are the three most common creature types. And so there, it, you're not going to have a lack of options for it. Um, it's certainly, I, I will say that, like, I'm not going to say it's like an S tier commander, right? But I think it's exciting. I, it plays very similarly from what I can tell through goldfishing it. Uh, I'd have to find the list that I was goldfishing earlier. Um, but it, it plays very similar to Adaptive Sisei, but has it's more explosive than Sisei can be because you can play your commander and get your game going on turn one um, a lot more reliably than Sisei can. Um so I don't know. It, it's a pretty interesting commander. I I don't know that it's going to be like amazing, but it's something that I'm intrigued to brew around and give a shot. Um, and I'm always interested in like these kind of low color, kind of fringe decks, anyhow, as evidenced by right the deck that I champion. Right. So it it, it checks all the boxes for me. Right. It's a it's a white X commander that's a human. It's low color. Like it's it's perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's my green Lavinia. Um, yeah. Um, onto I, the, I mean, like, sorry. I go was ahead. just gonna say it. it I kind of wonder how it compares to Thrasios Livio, right? Where mm -hmm. I kind of feel like they can be built with somewhat similar game plans, like at least in terms of how you're ultimately going to win. But then you get like mm -hmm. the advantage of you know both Thrasios and and Blue. Right. Mm -hmm. I think Livio is just an awkward card, though. That that could be, um, but I, you know, I, it is a every deck I've tried to build with Livio is really strange, um, and work. It's very clunky, is kind of my experience with it. Not that this is not clunky, but I I think that there's a lot of like, like it, like it's a stack stack, right? Like I I think it's a pretty reasonable stack stack, but um. Onto a card that is actually probably going to see a decent amount of play um, as probably like the new blue-red storm deck is Vadric Astral Archmage. And it is a colorless blue and a red human wizard. That's a one-two. And it says if it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Vadric Astral Archmage enters the battlefield. It's interesting that it's not an it's not when, it's as. So it's a before that, I believe it triggers before it enters the battlefield. Um, instance, it other ability says instant sorcery spells you cast cost X less, X less to cast 
where X is Vadric's power. And whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, put a plus one, plus one counter on Vadric. Um, so Pongo, I know that Reed, we've talked uh, about sick robot earlier in the episode and stuff that he's been doing. Um, he's been brewing this commander and it's a very similar type of deck to like Mizzix, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what's nice about this commander in comparison to Mizzix is that you can kind of like cheat <laughs> to, to get it, to get it fatter in a lot of ways. You know, you don't have to kind of do that whole like stepping stone, like accumulating experience counters thing. You can kind of just use like the, the red pump spells to, to make him swole. Mm-hmm. And then you start getting like the big discounts on, uh, on, on all of your spells. So like you're essentially getting to turn, you know, you know, target creature gets plus three plus O oh into a ritual in, in, you know, you can conceive of it that way, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's certainly something that you don't get a- access to with Mizzix, um, who, who really wants you to be like, you know, playing your one mana spell and then your two mana spell and then your three mana spell, um, to like grad gradually get those experience counters. So this feels like it has the potential to be a lot more explosive, um, and consistently able to execute that kind of plan, um, of, of let's just say a, a netting massive discounts, um, because that's kind of what they're both doing. Um, you know, at which point you get to more reliably and more consistently cast those really, really big spells that are highly impactful or those big X spells, um, that you get to pump a lot of, you know, quote unquote mana into, but in this case, you're kind of just mm-hmm. pumping free, <laughs> into you know right i'm not really sure how to how to conceptualize this resource um so you know the other thing that i like about this commander is that it's three mana instead of mizzix's four um you know one thing that mizzix has going for it um is that you get to keep those experience counters as mizzix dies but like you know going from four to six to eight is Kind of, kind of rough, you know, compared to yeah. going from like three to five. Yeah. And you have to start playing worse cards, right? Yeah. Like- yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's also like not unreasonable for it to go from like night to day, you know, with Vadric, which is like, you know, you wouldn't think about that so much as like an option, but it does make him bigger. So it kind of like nets you advantages. You know, if somebody just passes the turn, um, you know, holding up a spell, like choosing not to cast something, then all of a sudden it's night and it's pretty trivial for you to make it day um, because you're playing the type of deck that wants to cast two spells. So like if that happens to happen, um, like it just accidentally, you're also just automatically getting like two experience counters more or less. I mean, it just like starts the cycle when it comes into play. You know well, what I mean? So it starts the day-night cycle it, it makes it as day. it comes into play. Um, right. So that means it can flip back and forth, though, from there. Yeah, but you're you're not going to go straight to night because it counts as your spell. Um, well, right. But that, that's kind of what yeah, I'm yeah. saying, though, is is like... It enables that. You know, you would think it, ena- it enables yeah. getting into that where it will just kind of eventually get bigger right. sort of as the game goes yeah, realistically on. it's a cdh and like a lot of the you know it's not incredibly common that people pass without casting any spells um but like you know there are certain 
situations where it happens and and it's kind of just free value for for mm-hmm. an opponent doing nothing which is like i don't know worth mentioning Draw at, pass. at least yeah um and in certain matchups i would say is more likely to happen than others um the thing is that i like about it is that its floor what i think puts it over mizics is its floor is brawl right right, right. And so Mizzix comes down and then you have to start casting spells. This just comes down and it's brawl immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and again, I think it's just much easier to efficiently get like massive, um, like power upgrades on this guy. Um, right. There's, there's even a card with storm that gives creatures you control plus one plus. Oh, so like, yeah, Ace exactly. Like, yeah. which is kind of nutty <laughs> with with this guy um so this deck is so cool yeah and, and like even like some of those like pump spells like have incidental other benefits like like drawing like cantripping or like you get to make a treasure or something like that so they're not like even all that terrible frankly like if you pick the right ones um mm-hmm. so I, I don't know it, it definitely to me feels like an upgrade over Mizzix. um you know, yeah. if if only by virtue of the fact that it's like a mana cheaper, and then you know, like you said, it's this floor is Baral, and then in addition, like you can enable it so much more easily. Cobble, what are your thoughts on this card? Um, I I think that that Pongo is actually underselling, uh, how good of an effect the uh, ritualization of pump spells is because w- when you think of a ritual like you cast dark ritual and you get three yeah, mana i thought i was and then pretty that's high it. on them <laughs> yeah um in, in in this case it's it's a ritual that's a perpetual ritual that compounds with every other ritual that you're you're casting well, unless it's so in, unless it, it is um unless you pass the turn right because a lot of those bonuses are only until end of turn Right, but in a single right. turn, yeah, you know, if you cast Haze of Rage multiple times, for instance, then every spell you cast after that that are X spells are going to, you know, have that that and you that can move phases. same amount of benefit. Like you, you can, can move phases, you too, can go sure. to attack. You don't lose yeah. the the power toughness so it's like the the mana didn't drain from your pool effectively i think is what you're right like you the mana sticks I mean, around the, the, i think is what you're yes. getting at so i mean certainly uh you compare them to rituals and and they're better than your standard ritual so i, I agree with right. that particularly with with x spells or with um you know things that go mana positive like frantic search or or similar where you know you uh or reality what's the one that just untap everything. Uh, it's an X spell. Um, okay, no, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if, if the deck is even playing that one. Right. But I mean, it just, it, it is, uh, it's, it's faster than you would expect. It's faster than Mizzix. Certainly. By, by a, a great degree. And um, it, it is quite explosive. So, and, you know, it's got access to the recursion that, that Red has through, you know, things like Past and Flames and Underworld Breach and Mizzix Mastery. So um, it can generate a storm count very, very quickly and right. doesn't, doesn't need a whole lot 
uh, to get started. Um, it just needs its commander on the board. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, to your point, you know, about the ritualization of the pump spells and, and so on and so forth. Um, the other, I think, major advantage that Badrick has over a card like Mizzix is that, um, you know, Mizzix is kind of asking you to cast a lot of spells to start getting your engine rolling with Mizzix. Um, whereas, and, and, and at that point you're not getting the discounts with those cards, which is kind of a shame. Right. Um, you know, you, you can kind of gas out relatively easily in doing that. Whereas here you've got, you know, like you were saying, Cobblepot, like all these kind of like single cards um, that subsequently make the rest of your cards already just enabled right out of the gate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Mizzix ends up having to spend a good amount of resources before before you really get to go nuts. Whereas this, you know, you don't have to make nearly as big of an investment. Right, you pump them once and then your Jessica's will costs exactly. one. Yeah, this is this is a really, really interesting card. The deck is also playing stuff like Flux Channeler. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, pro- proliferate, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes, I love that. I am so psyched to have this on the channel because uh, once we start doing um, gameplay again, I, I want to see sick play this on the channel so bad i think this is such a cool deck it makes fists of flame good like right. super good um yeah. is sick running burgy in that list it is he is uh, i don't i don't know that no, he he's not yeah. no he's not he's playing storm killing artist though yeah okay. the, the only thing i'm so. not sure about with flux channeler is that like you do need to get the plus one plus one counter on vadric right mm-hmm. before that does anything i'm not missing anything with that and that like you're kind of expecting to get it from his ability Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know that there's uh, anything else that really takes advantage of uh proliferating otherwise so if you do get it it's it's nutty yeah and that's that's the thing is it's whenever you cast a non-creature spell so like at that at that point like every spell you cast turns into a ritual right sort of yes it, it yes and no right because there is a big difference between discounts and like actually having mana you know the big difference is that a discount right. doesn't cast doesn't pay for like the one blue that that um like the discount right. uh can cover i mean whereas discount covers like all the colorless components of the spell um right. so so that's kind of like my only concern with a card like that here but but i can right. see how uh you know, if you get the whole engine rolling, you get one plus one plus one counter on him. You're kind of off to the races at that point. Yeah, this is a really cool card. I'm super excited to see what happens with this. Um, now that we're done with the uh, Midnight Hunt uh, standard set, looking at the commander set, there were a couple cards that really popped out to us. Um, only two of them, really. And uh, the first one is Empty the Laboratory, uh, which costs X in a two blue and it's a sorcery that says sacrifice X zombies, then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a number of zombie creature cards um, equal to the number of zombies sacrificed this way. Put those cards onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, Cobble, is this finally the enabler we've been looking for for uh, Shadow Bag? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, it, it's... 
you know, we'll have to see on that. But uh, this is the, the people who have been talking about this are talking about it mainly in the context of two different commanders. One being Varina, that is the Esper commander that whenever it attacks, it generates zombies or it doesn't generate zombies but if it attacks with zombies it draws cards discards cards and Mm -hmm. gains life and then you can exile cards to create zombies and uh, the other one is the uh, original sultai sidisi that whenever you uh, mill creature cards into your 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 graveyard you create zombies yeah the idea here is that you you really only need two um uh, an X of two to be able to assemble uh, a win con um, with the primary win con being violent tumor plus corpse connoisseur, which both happen to entomb themselves when, when, when they come into play. So you cast empty the, the laboratory for two and you polymorph basically those two cards onto the battlefield. And then you get to entomb two more cards. And the two more cards that you entomb are uh, Razaketh and dread return. And um, ostensibly, you've got enough zombies hanging around uh, to be able to, you know, cast the Dread Return, bring Razaketh in, and then uh, assemble the the win con of your choosing, most likely being Thassa's Oracle plus Consultation. Um, but like you alluded to, Callahan, I, I will be giving it a shot uh, in both of those shells to see if we can make a shadow bag list that actually um finally gets know, over the hump that actually works because uh, in, in that case all you need is an x of two as well to put putrid imp and bone miser onto the battlefield one so, uh thing that might not be a bad idea is the commanders for those also is tormod the desecrator and crom because they're both zombies in your command zone that are not like in Tormod too. Whenever you one or more cards leave your graveyard, create a tapped two two black zombie, and that's that. That looks like a shadow uh, outlet to me. That's but, yeah, that is possible. Grixis. Yeah, yeah. Did we see? We I'm over here format. cooking up yeah. the. <laughs> we've we figured it out. My my <laughs> my my favorite. I, I I really like having green in the color identity for that. Um, yeah. Because of crop rotation, yeah, um, to be able to get the emergence sure. zone in there, but um, yeah, it's there's there's lots of things to try. It'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, Pongo, any ideas with this deck? All right, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, what I, what I really like about this card is that it gives um, sort of one card win condition potential to a lot of decks that previous or a couple of decks, I should say that previously didn't necessarily have great options for that. Obviously, Sidisi, classic Hermit Druid Commander. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look at, like... And Fuching and, well, Commander, excuse yes, you. Yes, I was getting to that. If you look at, like, the things that it's <laughs> have historically been layered with, it is kind of like the original Bean Dip deck, where it's, like, infinite layers. Um, and, like, it's kind of... I guess historically like the poster child for that. But like the problem yeah. is that, and, and like, I, I think it's always kind of been an issue with, with that deck. Um, your card quality takes such a massive dump. Um, and also like the commander itself doesn't dig you out of the hole of like you drawing into 
like extra combo pieces and or or like you know drawing the wrong half of this combo here and you know the wrong half of this combo there um you know this is nice because a lot of your plan is just in the command zone with Sidisi, and it means that you only need like the one tutor to get this card and then assemble your whole combo and you know you you know how i feel about one card win conditions I think that, <laughs> you know, any deck that can play them needs to take a serious look at them because there is very little that you can do in this format, in my opinion, that is stronger than that. Um, particularly when you also combine it with having access to black and your color identity um, because right. then you end up having a lot of redundancy for your one-card win conditions. Um, so, So I think it's really you know, quite interesting. And, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily good enough to, let's say, revive, um, you know, decks like Sadisi, you know, that it have kind of fallen by the wayside um, or, or, you know, push Verena or Verena or however you pronounce it into the, into sort of a more uh, viable direction or, or in the realm of viability. Um, but, but it's cool. It's a very cool design. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing the, the decks that it spawns. Yeah. And hopefully a successful ja- shadow bag. And hopefully. hopefully that's, absolutely. that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I love shadow bag so much. I, I just, I think it's such a cool, such a cool, like apparatus uh, that you created. I just, I love it. Uh, but the last card on our list here is Drown in Dreams, which is an instant that costs X, two colorless and a blue. And it says, choose one. If you control a commander as you cast the spell, you may choose both. And one of the abilities is target player draws X cards, target player. The other one is target player mills twice X cards. So when we look at this one, Pongo, uh, this definitely has some stroke of genius. Uh qualities to this you know what what are you thinking with this card yeah i mean so this seems like a really interesting card um you know obviously i think fadric could consider it right just being another like x Mm -hmm. mana outlet um that also you can target yourself and mill yourself if you're doing um like breach it is in six yeah it is in six list you do get to do both if you have your commander out which is pretty sweet um but then you know, where this is like kind of an obvious slam dunk conclusion is just in Kinnon, where it's just, as you mentioned before, kind of like a, it is a strictly better version of Stroke of Genius. Um, and like, it's not often that I actually get to say that without somebody like right. being able to be like, well, what about this corner case where it's not strictly better? No, like this one is actually just strictly better, um, <laughs> like fairly unambiguously, which is pretty sweet. Um, so, you know, what I like about this card is that it kind of ups the sort of win con density in that deck uh, post getting Basalt Monolith online. Um, you know, it's never really been an issue before for the most part, but like, you know, you could sort of like contrive situations where where it would be an issue, you know, suppose like you're unable to assemble like Scepter Combo um, and like you're, you also don't have access to Finale and mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you, you recent, I recently cut, um, regrowth. So like, you know, 
when when this card was spoiled. But like if you aren't playing regrowth, then you might not have time twister loops as a viable option. Um, just with noxious revival. But like, you know, now that we have this card, you kind of get that like blue sun zenith effect where, you know, without having to play blue sun zenith, you can get infinite mana, uh, draw your deck by like cheating Thrasios into play and, and have that whole thing going. And then this card can sort of simultaneously kill two players in one card by making one opponent mm-hmm. draw their whole deck and, and then some and, and lose instantly. And you can then also mill another player out simultaneously. Um, and then, you know, you can just recur this card and, and kind of do the same thing, similar to like what you would do with the Blue Sun Zenith, um, but with a much more attractive casting cost, at least for the purposes of Kinnon. Um, so, so it's cool. Like, you know, it's not changing anything radically in that deck, but... But you know, it's it's it is just a better stroke of genius, right? You know, we we right. we win and lose games on on those little margins and stuff like that. So we always have to keep an eye out for when a card gets power crept ever so slightly. Marion Cobble, any thoughts on this card? I don't think I have anything really to contribute <laughs> beyond that. I mean, it's stroke of genius. <laughs> I mean, it's it's way more than stroke of genius. Just. Um, it it feels like um so in in the case of using it as a win con you have your commander on the board and you take out two players and then you do you use a, a regrowth effect yeah, to like take out the third survival. player um you have that option or you know like whatever else you're using as your like theoretical uh way to make an opponent draw like your your last opponent draw cards mm-hmm. okay yeah, well, yeah, that's cool. That is the last card on our list. So that about wraps things up for us here today. Um, you know, it's been a pleasure getting back and doing this with you guys. So um, a couple of housekeeping things to keep in mind for as uh, a show that we're going to be doing here on this channel uh, that will be coming up here soon is a D&D game called paths in prophecy that we're doing here on the mind sculptors in uh we're doing that with the venture maidens which is a group that sage is a part of and that is going to be a campaign set in theros uh that is going to be uh led by sage they're going to be our game master for this game and the players in the game are going to be Lenny, also known as a Johnny's gay pride mate, uh, Clayby from CNC Power Hour, Charles and myself. And so uh, the first episode you can catch will be October 4th. Uh, I believe it will be, uh, I want to say 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'll double check on the time and put it in the comments. But... Uh, You can check that out on the Venture Mains Twitch channel and then afterwards on our YouTube channel. Um, So with that, uh, just a quick reminder that you can follow us for any updates on Twitter at Sculpty Boys, B-O-I-S, or you can find a direct link to our Twitter in the link tree in the description below. You can also find links to all of our mox fields and all of our Twitters if you want to find our opinions on things or look at the decks we're brewing and stuff like that. I want to also give an extra shout out to all of our patrons who help keep the lights on. If you too would like to become a patron, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. 
Thank you all again for joining us today. And from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors, I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time. I'm in line with the stars. I'm in sync with the earth. Ten toes deep, flower child from the turf. I never switch sides. Like, even when I die, I'm a ride for the squad. Let up ties in the hearse. I've been on a vibe kind of hard to describe. I'm in between I'm good and it's fine, but I'm tired of the grind. Then I come alive in the night to realize I'm in the middle of the time of my life. I'm never so packed for the stack. Never lied on the back. Got a bag from the way that I write it. Queen looking Tyson. Do that ass survive doing 80 to the house. Then I hit it to the sky. Change haters on a tyrant.